Turn to Philippians tonight, Philippians chapter 4. We come to Paul's thank you note to the Philippian church who ministered to him in so many ways. These folks were very precious to him. We see that there is no uh, perfect situations, no perfect churches, no perfect people. And in this injunction to the Philippians to pray, in the middle of it, he mentions uh, a two ladies who are at odds with one another. It's kind of interesting that he would include that in this uh, teaching on prayer. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice let your moderation that word moderation means sweet reasonableness and that is something that should describe us as believers our patient and appropriateness We should be that way in all of our dealings with one another. Let your sweet reasonableness or your patience and your appropriateness be known unto all men. That's how one of the things they should know us by. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or full of care for nothing. That takes in a lot of territory, doesn't it? But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, the result of doing that, obeying this teaching, will be that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As we've been studying the Lord's pattern for prayer for us in the scriptures, there are countless scriptures that compel, that encourage, that teach, that command us to pray to bring our requests before the Lord. We're reminded of that of every church gathering, of every prayer meeting. We've looked at some of the detriments to prayer, as we've looked at recently, why some prayers go unanswered that uh, hinder other things that would hinder uh, from fulfilling our role in the Lord's work in this matter of prayer. Part of the problem is that we lose sight of the purpose of prayer. Why did the Lord design it this way? We mentioned some of us right before the prayer meeting, even before uh, you pray, I will answer. And we're going to look at that verse in just a moment. If the Lord knows all and can do all and has all power and all uh, knowledge of all things, why does he tell us to bring every prayer and every request with thanksgiving before the throne of grace? I think that some believers really don't understand the purposes of prayer. We, we think primarily it's to get things from heaven. And that's one small part of prayer. But there are many other things, many other reasons why the Lord has designed it in this way. I want us to review what the scripture teaches are the reasons for bringing every request and every uh, desire, every problem, every burden before the Lord, supplication and thanksgiving, making them known unto the Lord. In the matter of prayer, I so often refer to that verse in Ezekiel 36 Verse 36, that's easy to remember, isn't it? 36, 36. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And that should be enough, shouldn't it? When he says something, period. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And I will do it. 
You see, see how authoritative our God is when he says something. All the power of heaven is behind it. I've spoken it. That's what? All of God's word that you hold in your lap. He's spoken it. We were talking with a man last night, and we were trying to show him that the Holy Spirit of God superintended the scriptures. He was asking all kinds of questions. Well, how could Moses have written about things he wasn't there? I told him because the Holy Spirit superintended and told Moses what happened when he wasn't there. There wasn't anybody else there was there, but the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There wasn't a scientist there with a test tube, I can tell you that, or with carbon-14 or anything else to decide about things. The Lord was there. And the Spirit told Moses and the other writers of the Scriptures what happened and what to write. I, the Lord, have spoken it. I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. God's goal was to make them powerful and make their army and their, their defense as if it was a mightier army than what it was. Because someone has said you and God are, in, are a majority no matter what the numbers are. I will do this for Israel. I've spoken it. I will do it. But I've not been asked to do it. I wonder how many unanswered prayers will leave this house tonight because we did not ask him to do it. What are the purposes? What are the reasons why God, and there may be a million of them, but I have some listed that, that I think are very pertinent. First of all, we're called to ask in prayer because prayer establishes God's sovereignty, his might, his majesty. We cannot be, help but be reminded of those things when we come before him in asking these requests. We believe that our God reigns supreme and that he is absolutely and completely in control of all affairs, can change circumstances, do whatever it takes to bring his will to pass. And he tells us to ask for it. I mentioned about last night, Paul and I were witnessing to a man and uh, uh, this, he, he brought up all kinds of questions and he tries, you know, when people don't want to just examine the truth, they'll, they'll throw what they think are uh, juggler vein kind of things at you. And he said, I, I heard a child coming from your Sunday school who said that y'all did not believe in dinosaurs. <laughs> and, you know, of all the things that you could bring up. And uh, we said, no, we believe there were dinosaurs. Well, you believe, and he, he knew what we believed, or thought he did that the dinosaurs and men are contemporary. We're contemporary. I said, yes, I do believe that. Y'all are to the Flintstones. He said, you might as well be the Flintstones. <laughs> he just, and then, then he made a statement. He'd already made some absurd statements. And then he said, and you believe, and I mentioned that about Moses writing the first five books of the Bible. And I said, yes, I, I believe that. And uh, I, I think that took him off guard that we just uh, so patiently said, yes, that is exactly what we believe. And he said, uh, I wrote it down. This is quite a quote. Those who believe in absurdities are prone to commit atrocities. And uh, he went on about his, his theory of all that. Well, you know, as we were talking to, to the man, it, it dawned on me that only the Holy Spirit of God can open a heart that's so hardened and has so many defenses and, and so many uh, things in their mind and heart against the things of God. But Paul or Silas or the, all the members of the church at Philippi couldn't get Eodius and Sintichi on the same page, could they? I mean, why, what are they going to have to do about it? They're going to have to pray. Now, ask those ladies, beg them, beseech them to be of the same mind. But then what does he say? Pray, bring every request before the throne of grace because God, who is in all sovereign, in all, in all control, can, can deal with those ladies' hearts. 
the simple fact that we have to ask the Lord for all of our blessings and then give thanks for them reinforces in our minds and our hearts that God is master, that he is provider, and that we are desperately need his guidance and his permission and his provision in everything. If we did not have to pray, if we just had these things, the needs of the soul and even our, our, our tangible needs without praying, we would take it for granted, wouldn't we? These blessings are divinely given. These provisions that we so enjoy, every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. Every gift that we have comes from Him. If we were not reminded of that and did not have to regularly ask Him for these things, we'd begin to presume that we deserve them or take for granted these blessings. And so prayer keeps us under God's authority. The centurion said to Christ when he requested that he go and heal his servant, I am one under authority. And prayer shows us God's authority. I am supreme. I, the Lord, I've spoken it. I can do all things. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. But you must call and you must come unto me. This is the way God has arranged it because he knows what is best for us as his children. When the children of Israel were provided miraculously day by day the manna in their wilderness wanderings without having to ask for it, and they did not pray for that manna. God decided to give it to them. Uh, it did not make them grateful. You do not see gratefulness in their hearts, do you? In fact, they became jaded to it and began to ask for something else. Asking the Lord for our needs keeps us in a place of holy dependency and trusting in the sovereignty of God. It reminds us of his power and his limitless supply of all those things that we so desperately need. And I would remind you that, so, that, that most desperate needs are not the car payment or the bank note or the groceries. The most desperate needs are the needs of the inner man, of the soul, that only the Lord can provide for him. Now, secondly, not only does it remind us of God's sovereignty, and we could go on and on. We will not spend a lot of time on each of these points, but just to, to mention them, to kind of gather our thinking. But secondly, prayer makes us keenly aware of God's goodness, not only of, of God's complete authority and sovereignty, but his goodness. Psalm 40, verse 4, Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. And literally, that means happy, happy, happy is the man that makes the Lord his trust. When you depend upon the Lord to meet your needs and you bring those before him, that's a holy and happy dependency between the child and the heavenly father. Psalm 46, verse 4, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear because God is our strength. Because he is our, our refuge, we will not fear. Psalm 73, verse 1, truly God is good to Israel. And what we could say of God to Israel, we can certainly say to, to, of, of the Lord to his bride, the church. God was good to Israel, and God is good to us, isn't he? Even to such as are of a clean heart, Psalm 73, verse 1. Psalm 78, verse 72, he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Isn't that a wonderful? No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. We could go on and on with proof texts about God's goodness to Israel and to his church, but prayer makes us aware and keeps us keenly aware that God is good. He keeps from us all that would ruin us, 
all that would turn our heart away from him. Aren't you glad of that? He knows what would take you out of his will. And that if he answered that prayer, what it would do to you and your family and the next generation and so forth. And so that's why he tells us to pray, this is my request, Lord, but thy will be done. Please override any request by the sovereign will of God. You're too good to give us something that would ruin us. And so, Lord, this is what we're asking. But if it would, if it would turn our heart from you, if it is not best from us, we can trust in the goodness of God far better than any earthly parent to provide for their children. We can trust in his goodness to us. Whenever we repent, we experience his forgiving and his cleansing in our lives. And we're again reminded of his goodness to us in salvation. When we cry out to him for some deliverance and trouble or trial. And let me just say here, when we are undergoing severe trial and overwhelming temptation, the open door is prayer. You know, the Bible says that, that God will make, will with the temptation, will with the test, make a way of escape. And so the door is prayer. Cry out to him. Cry out to the Lord. And uh, when he gives that deliverance in trouble or trial and intervenes and helps us, we stand in awe of his kindness and his tenderness. If such blessings were instantly given without us having to ask, we would, uh, we would, uh, without us having to ask on our part, we would become expectant and presumptuous and spoiled as if we deserved those things. And I remind us, child of God, even as the saved, we don't deserve the daily mercies that are ours. We don't deserve to be in Christ and to have our sins forgiven. Had he not saved us, we would not have been saved. Had he not intervened on our behalf, we would never have sought him and never have loved him. And so because you are saved makes you no more worthy than a lost person. He has made you worthy. He has made you his child. And he provides these things so richly for us. We wouldn't appreciate his, his goodness and power if he had not designed prayer to constantly remind us and keep us right with him. Well, a third thing that, that prayer does, prayer causes us to spend time with God. He desires to fellowship with us. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That the sovereign creator of the universe loves spending time with us. Now, that is an awe-inspiring thing, but it's chiefly through prayer that that's what we do. And this, of course, is one of the chief reasons God designs prayer. We sing that song, Take time to be holy, speak oft with thy Lord. It causes us to spend time in fellowship and worship. And when we come to him in prayer, we're first reminded, is there anything I need to be aware of? Is there some sin that I've not confessed? Am I right with the Lord? Have I searched my heart? Am I asking aright? You see, all of that has to go into this in prayer, and it keeps us right with him as we come before the Lord and intervene for Eodius and Sintichi. It causes us, when we're praying for Eodius and Sintichi, we're praying for ourselves and the other relationships that we have. Is there someone I'm not right with? Oh, we could focus on these two ladies who are obviously causing a, a hindrance in the work of the, the Philippian church. And whenever believers are at odds, the Holy Spirit is grieved, revival tarries, and the work of the Lord cannot go on as it should. That's such a horrible thing. And so he's begging these two ladies to be made right. If I'm praying for them, it makes me pause and say, who am I not right with? Who am I holding a grudge against? What should I confess on my part? Would we be as apt to talk with him if we did not have to make our requests known? If we could just think them, if we could just desire it, and there it appears like some magical thing, we would not go before the Lord and tell him our need and 
confess our sin and ask his blessing. He knows what our needs are, yes, before we ask. And yet he still tells us to come to him and ask. And it's for us. It increases our faith. It helps us to draw near to him. Isaiah 65, verse 24, it shall come to pass. This is the verse we're referring to, that before they call, I will answer. Do you know that the Lord already has in motion how he's going to answer the prayer that you have on your heart? He already has all the resources gathered together, and he's working all things together for our good, and yet he tells us to pray. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. So not only does prayer remind us of God's sovereignty and it makes us aware of his goodness, that he is a good God. See, Satan constantly whispers, if God is so good, why are you in need? Why do you want this? Why is this problem in your life? Did he not? He whispered that to Eve with the most luxurious home that anybody's ever had or ever will have. In that beautiful Garden of Eden with every need met, a perfect husband. Women, can you imagine a perfect husband? Flawless Every need met, no, no problems in communication. Their fellowship was absolutely perfect. And Satan comes along and says, is this all there is to it? Is God really good to you? Well, what, what kind of God would withhold that? He points out a tree. She hadn't even noticed the tree had you. It didn't make any difference. There were so many other wonders and mad, glorious things that that had to be pointed out. To her. That's the way Satan does. He gets us to be... Uh, not happy or satisfied with the goodness of God. It causes us to spend time with God. But a fourth reason for prayer, I believe, is that prayer points to our privileged position as believers. Now, I hope you realize what a privilege prayer is. We, we sing again. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. The lost do not have this resource. What a sad thing. Can you imagine not having this a most valuable resource of prayer. It is one of the birthrights of a child of God. What greater privilege could there be than to be invited right into the throne room of the, the control room of the universe? Think about it. You ever seen inside a cockpit of one of those huge jets or the control center of some major building or something, all the gadgets and the buttons, and you think, this is where it happens. Well, we're invited to go right into the throne room where God maintains the, the, the whole entire universe any time, day or night. Think of it. God wants us to inquire of him and to, to intervene on our behalf. Lord, would you not cause Yodius and Sintichi to be at, 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 at peace and, and bring revival? That's hindering revival in our church. Lord, work on those ladies' hearts. You see how praying for those kinds of things, and that's just an example here in our text, causes us and reminds us to be made right with the Lord, to be made right with one another. God wants us to inquire and, and ask these things. We have no power or influence of ourselves, do we? We, we cannot change the mind of one leader on earth. I, President Obama would not listen to me. The Supreme Court justices, I doubt the mayor of the city would, maybe. But even if he did, what, there's only so much. If, all, if I had the ear, let's just reverse that. Let's say President Obama called me tomorrow and said, Brother Lamb, what do you think about so-and-so? And what if the Supreme Court had me to come and meet with them and tell them what I thought about their things or ask what I will or the, the Congress or whatever? If all of those people in authority listened to me, they could only do so much. They could not do the things that, that need to be done. 
What could Congress do to make Yotis and Syntagy back on the same page? Not one thing. They could pass a law about it tomorrow, but only the Spirit of God could make those two people, those two women who labored in the work of the gospel, see their need to be made right with. What could President Obama do about two women who wouldn't go to each other's tea party, you know, or, or, or work together in Sunday school anymore? We have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, only you can work upon the heart. We could go to Him and give our influence. That's, that's only so much. What if we had the ear? of the the kings and queens on earth, they could only do so much. But we can go to the King of kings and the Lord of lords continually, over and over, any time, day or night. We're the children of the king, and we have certain privileges. Now, doesn't that just absolutely thrill you tonight? To know this holy birthright, these privileges of the the kingdom that that are ours. Well, a fifth thing that prayer is the reason that prayer is given as it is, like nothing else, it shows us our limitations and our inadequacy. We live in a world where people are so stuck on themselves, such a narcissistic society where almost everyone thinks they're the king or queen of the universe, and we are not. <laughs> the universe does not center around any of us. It centers around the triune Godhead. And listen, we, we need to know what our limitations are. We're not omniscient. We don't know everything. We don't even really know how to pray, do we? We pray according to the will of God as is revealed in his word, and even then we have to say, Thy will be done. We do not possess transforming power. As Paul and I were standing there last night, and several others had opportunity to witness, this particular person was so hardened in their opinion, I immediately felt my insufficiency, all of my knowledge, all of my experience, all of my Bible knowledge, what, or, or lack of it, was not it, would not do one thing. Only the Spirit of God, and over and over again the Lord shows us that, doesn't he? Can change a heart, can open a heart, can, can bring down reasonings and strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Who of us can transform a soul? Not one. Not, you parents cannot do that in your children's hearts. You cannot do, we cannot save a soul. We do not know the end from the beginning so that we can make perfect choices and decisions. And so what do we do? Lord, I'm so limited, but I ask, I come in my limitations, begging for your mercy and your divine intervention. And so we're pressed to go to the one who does have all these resources, who does know the end from the beginning, who is omniscient. Who does know what every person needs and how soon their, their soul is going to be called before the judgment of God? We don't know any of those things, do we? So we go before the Lord. We see our need of him in everything. And as we've seen the prayer of Asa, as he cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help. We can't do a thing. But it's nothing with you to open that man's heart. And, and you know, when you, when you do that, when you witness and give someone the claims of Christ, it causes you to pray that the Lord would show them their need and that the Holy Spirit of God would do that regenerating work. It is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. In thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against us. The prayer of Asa in Second Chronicles fourteen eleven. But a sixth reason for prayer is that prayer delivers us from pride. In light of what all I've just said, how could any of us as believers be prideful? Not even our privileges make us prideful. 
they make us feel uh, sympathy and sorrow and great burden for those outside of Christ who do not have those resources, who are not saved, who are not spent eternity in heaven. Pride is the great enemy of the soul, and we must kill it every time it raises its head. And it does over and over again throughout the day in our lives. Pride is the great enemy of the soul and the great enemy of the work of God. How many churches have been destroyed? How many ministries have been destroyed and testimonies have been destroyed because of pride? Now, I will venture to say, although I was not a member of the church at Philippi, that Iodius and Sinditia, who were not of the same mind, and Paul is begging them to be brought to the same mind, that pride was at the root of their problem. Only by pride comes contention. I think I'm safe to say that no matter who was right and who was wrong in that situation, if they were not already willingly made right, pride was keeping them from being made right with one another. So prayer delivers us from pride. And as I am praying again for Yodius and Sintichi, it causes me to search my heart. Lord, what am I prideful over? Oh, I'm right. I'm right in this area. Well, so what? You may be right and go about it in the wrong way. And so the Lord reminds us of these things. If churches are filled up without prayer, if, if the work of the Lord could be done without begging Him to, to intervene, if we saw salvation miracles without begging God before the mercy seat, we would be like Nebuchadnezzar, wouldn't we? Look what I've done. Look how great I am. What a wonderful Sunday school teacher I am. What a delightful parent I am. I know just how to do things. What a, what a glorious pastor I am. We would think we were responsible for people's spiritual growth and the miraculous success, but only through prayer can these things be done, and only Christ and our Savior get all the glory and honor when souls are converted, when hearts are opened up. When, when people are made right with one another who were at odds, when revival comes, who can send revival? Who can send the, the blessing of the Lord to a congregation, to a home, to a family, to a church? If we could produce holiness, if we could produce holy lives in the flesh, it's what, a, what an incongruous statement that is, but if we could produce holy lives in the flesh, I'm afraid some people think they can. The, the wrath of man brings not the righteousness of God, neither the wisdom of man, nor the philosophy of man. If we could produce holy lives in the flesh or accomplish anything of substance without prayer, pride would drown us. We would be of all people most miserable. We see too much of that in the work of God today anyway, don't we? The flesh, uh, people's name and their, their own self all over it. John 15, verse 5 tells us, Without me, you can do some things. Without me, you can do nothing. Prayer puts things in perspective, doesn't it? It keeps us in our place where we need to be, low and humble at our Savior's feet, at the place, at the feet of Jesus, feasting in, on Him. Well, a seventh thing, seventh reason for prayer is that prayer delivers us from selfishness. And these are all interconnected as you can see it makes us realize that that we can't have everything we want that we can't have our way all the time that god's way and will supersedes our will and prayer keeps that in perspective we we can't do whatever we like if the lord will we should james is we're taught to pray i want to go to a certain city and stay there and do business but 
is in the Lord's hands. You see, it keeps us from selfishness. If we could get our way all the time, we would be monsters, even as those redeemed by God's grace. The need to ask the Lord about everything, every major decision. Lord, do you want me to go to, to such and such a city? Is that where you want me to be? Open the door or close the door. All of God's children know how you have to pray that way. Pray for the will of God. Pray for open doors or closed doors that I won't make the, the wrong mistake. It keeps us from selfishness. We have to pray about every decision. I ask God to keep a restraining hand on our otherwise self-centered appetites because we as human beings are basically selfish. We don't think of others' needs or perspectives as we should, but prayer brings it all into perspective. Without prayer, we make carnal choices. Just ask Jonah. Ask even God's people. Jonah didn't pray about going to Tarshish. He just selfishly bought the ticket and went. Had he prayed, he could have saved himself a lot of heartache. In fact, he didn't even have to pray about that, did he? Because God had already told him what to do. But prayer keeps things in perspective. We cannot ask God's blessings on useless, destructive, excessive, or prideful things. He will not bless it. He will not give that kind of request. He'll give us what we need. We even have to ask him, Lord, show me what I need. Because have you ever found out that category of need can be awfully vast we can need something that's really, and I'm using that word facetiously, it's really not a need at all. It's just a deep-seated lust or desire. But God has a way of whittling that down to what we need. And when it comes, we say that was sufficient. That was exactly what, what was needed. We most often see that in retrospect. But God in his graciousness says, Ask of me, and I will answer thee. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Prayer is like a caution light, like a speed bump. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't like speed bumps. But the reason I don't like them is why they put them there. They make me stop and ease over them so I won't speed down or go an excessive speed in, a, in an area. But that's what prayer is like, a speed or a guardrail. It keeps us in line. We are forced to pray for others' needs. What does he say here? Let every request. Prayer and supplication make your request known to God. And let your moderation, your sweet reasonableness be made known to all men. You see how it keeps our relationships right and to be right with one another. And prayer delivers us from the idol of self, which is the chief idol that we have to, to battle and, and cast down on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Well... And the eighth thing is that prayer, nothing like prayer builds up our faith. I was speaking with one of our staff members just this week, and they said, this year, more than any other time in my life, the Lord has answered prayer after prayer. And I've seen his outstretched arm in his, in his uh, answering of prayer. What a glorious thing that is. Nothing like prayer builds our faith. Answers to prayer serve as Ebenezer's. Remember, the Lord told them to raise the stones of remembrance and remind ourselves, hitherto, up to this point, the Lord has blessed us and guided us right here. I hope you have some Ebenezer's. And I would even recommend to you to write down one of those answers to come, have a little notebook, have a little place, and maybe on your daily calendar, whatever it is, a place where you record those specific and uh, wonderful answers to prayer. And when you do feel like there's the day the sun won't rise and the sun won't shine, go back and read and say, look what he's done. He did this and this and this and this. Nothing like that will build up your faith. They serve as Ebenezer's, these answers, that up till now 
Has not God kept us? Let's just do some inventory here, church. Up till now, God has kept us, hasn't he? We're all here, aren't we? Up till now, God has sustained us and supplied our needs and has heard and done abundantly above all of that. So because of that, we don't presume on tomorrow, but we know he can supply our needs all the way till he brings us home. And that should build our faith. He has a wonderful track record, doesn't he? Such dependability. He has such wisdom and knowledge about us. He knows everything about us and knows exactly how to meet our needs. Even when the Lord delays his answers, as we've seen, sometimes God delays his answers to prayer, uh, causing us to, to repeatedly and earnestly seek his face. This strengthens our faith. It, it, it causes us to, to grow and to examine and to search the word, to find promises. It helps in our Bible study sometimes for the Lord to delay his answer. Show me in your word, Lord, we pray. That's exactly what he wants to do. Show me here. Teach me. Lead me. Guide me. Past answers to prayer develops a tenacious trust that he will bless in his way. My first real answer to prayer, other than the prayer to be saved, uh, when the Lord began to work on my heart to serve him, I had a strong desire uh, to, to prepare to serve him. I didn't know what exactly he was going to do. And because all of my family had gone to the local uh, university there, and I remember just praying that, that I didn't think that was God's will for me, not that it wasn't for other people, but for me. And uh, the circumstances were just absolutely against anything. And I remember just coming to a certain point that I, I uh, was just thrust upon begging the Lord and, and, and spending just periods of time in prayer and seeing him answer and change the circumstances just one after another. It was not immediately. Uh, it was that whole summer uh, before my, my freshman year of college that the Lord brought all that to pass in direct answer to prayer. Well, it served as a, a catalyst or it served as an Ebenezer that he would guide me all the way through college and then through graduate school and just day by day to this very hour. And I, I praise him for that. But he puts us in those uh, situations where they're, we're walled in. We can't get over it. We can't dig under it. We can't go around it. God will have to move the mountain. And prayer does that. It builds our faith. And those past answers causes us to, well, I can pray about this. God will see through this next mountain because he's done it before. Ninthly, closely connected to number eight in building our faith, prayer broadens our assurance. It is one of the key signs that we are genuinely converted to have answers to prayer. When feelings and emotions fail us, and they will, they're real, but they're just that. They're just feelings and emotions. When they fail us, the evidence of God's mercy and goodness comes to us by answered prayer. Sometimes we pray when we don't even feel like it. There's no emotion behind it. We're just hurt or desperate or, or uh, whatever the situation may be. Lord, I don't even feel like praying, but you're, there is a God in heaven and you hear my prayer. And we see his goodness comes even then. Nothing assures us as when a long-awaited answer to prayer comes. Oh, how it builds our faith. Oh, how it blesses our hearts. And then number 10, prayer levels the playing field, if you will. I don't know exactly how to state this number 10. What I have in my notes here is prayer puts us all in the same boat. And I think you understand what I mean by that. All Christians get their needs in the same way. 
There's no popery in, in, in Christianity. They're not those way up here who get everything and those down here are struggling. No, the, the same way every believer gets their needs met is, is universal among us. This is how it's done. This is how Paul had his needs met, how Silas, how Timothy, how Whitfield, how Luther, how Wesley, how Spurgeon... All of God's children have, have gotten their needs met and have, have been made right with the Lord and had forgiveness and answers to prayer in this same way. There's no privileged class of Christians. I think sometimes that, that believers may think that. Oh, that person always gets their prayers answered or they, they have such an inroad to the Lord. That's nothing. Can be, you know what? Satan uses that kind of reasoning to keep Christians from praying. Well, I'm not, I'm not like Brother So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, so I don't even try. I, don't even, I can't get to first base. They just, they just have an inroad of some kind. Of course, Brother Lamb, Paul would say that. He was an apostle. But I want you to know that Eodius and Sentinchy, that was the way they got their prayers answered. And Clement and all the other people he mentions here. There's, there's, no, there's no privilege class status among believers where some have privileges and others do not. The only thing that hinders this is sin. The only thing that hinders this, this channel of blessing and answer is, is unconfessed sin. Where some get answers and blessings and others don't. That's not the way the Lord works. Peter and Paul and John had to use the same resource as we had to. The church in Acts prayed for Peter's release at prayer meeting just like we would pray if one of our leaders were in prison. Paul knew what it was to supplicate and intercede. What does he tell us? Aren't you glad that, that 1 Corinthians tells us that three times I asked the Lord about this thorn in the flesh? That one illustration in the Bible does more for our faith than, than, than anything we could think of that even the apostle who had apostolic power, who had been given revelation more than any other human being, biblical revelation, who had been so greatly used of the Lord to establish churches, who we could just go on and on. Paul tells us by his own testimony about his thorn, whatever it was, I had three seasons of, of prevailing prayer before the Lord. And uh, this is what the Lord told me. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, my, I'm not going to take the thorn away, but my grace will be super abundant. It will be more than you need to bear that thorn, and I will get great glory out of you bearing your thorn under my super abundant grace. That was God's will for Paul. Daniel prayed for days, remember, before the archangel could come to him? And in a mysterious way, we don't fully understand. But if Daniel had to, to tarry in prayer and Paul had to, to pray that way, these, the early church asked the Lord to release Peter from jail. Not one of God's servants is greater in his sight than any other. Paul begs people to pray for him. He begs them to pray for one another here in this, this pattern as if his very usefulness and his success depended on their prayers. Please pray for me. There's a great door open for me, ineffectual, but there are many adversaries. Please pray for me. Pray that I might have an utterance, that I might open my mouth and declare the, 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 uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with power. He was so dependent on these folks' prayers it was as if he could not do the work of the Lord without it. We just read our missionaries' prayer letter. They're depending on us to intervene on their behalf. Isaac Watts, I love the, the, the quote we often talk about 
in reference to that. He says the, the angel fetched Peter from prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Don't ever forget the vehicle that God uses. We, ought, we would camp out on the angel that escorted Peter out of prison. That's not the amazing thing. It's the amazing thing. The church prayed and God sent the angel to get Peter. Would the angel have gone without God telling the angel to have gone? And would the angel have gone if they, if they hadn't prayed on his behalf? Do you see how it works? Lastly, prayer always leads to repentance. We can't talk about answered prayer without examining our hearts. And asking the Lord, again, as we're praying for Yodius and Sintichi, I beseech Yodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. This so grieved Paul that in the middle of this letter, he mentions that. For us to read about 2,000 years later. Why? Because we're human beings and we'll have these same situations. He was so grieved over it. These two ladies were so dear to Paul, he called them yoke fellows. Now, you know that what a yoke is? It's a, a wooden device that keeps two oxen to, together where they have to pull together to plow or to carry the load. And that's the picture of true Christian brother and sisterhood and fellowship in the working of the ministry. Pulling together, being yoked together, tied together, under the, bound together under the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to get the work of the Lord done. He calls them yoke fellows. Help those ladies. What a precious uh, teaching this is. Help them. We're to constantly come alongside one another and help, one, help them how? Well, they were to do what all they could to help them see that this was wrong, that their sin was wrong, that, they w- that we are to be of the same mind, that whatever problem it was, aren't you glad that that doesn't tell us the problem? That's, that, didn't even have any, that doesn't matter why they weren't on the same page. They weren't. And it was causing great hindrance, and it was breaking the apostle's heart. He calls them yoke fellows. He says, those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with my other fellow laborers. This was the cream of the crop, people. And it also shows us no matter how far, how what a pillar of the church you may be, none of us are exempt from being in this same situation. None of us. Whose names are in the book of life. Well, that's pretty, Paul was assured that these ladies were saved, but... They were at odds. Beg them. Help them. Pray for them. Well, prayer always is linked to repentance. Every time we come before the Lord, we're forced to examine our lives. Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way, anything that would hinder this prayer, my prayers. When we as the church leaders are called upon to pray for people who are sick and we often do, are called upon to do that. And we always remind ourselves as we read that portion in James that we're to confess our faults and our sins and ask the Holy Spirit to show us in that very prayer meeting if there's something that would hinder the Lord's will in this person's life. Do you see how God links even healing everything with us being made right with him and with one another? This makes us repent and come for cleansing because the scripture says, if I in my heart, if I keep it, if I hoard it. Yodis could say, I'm right and she's wrong. And since she said, when she comes and asks my, my apology, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive her. And there they stood on either side of the church, singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Yodis over here, Sintichi over here. When they came time for, for uh, shaking hands, they didn't cross the great divide. They stayed over there, stayed over there. We all know it. We've been there. What a horrible thing it is.
Why does the Holy Spirit record this right in the middle of this teaching on prayer? Because that's what breaks up prayer meetings. That's what makes revival, Terry. That's what keeps us from praying and keeps us from before the throne of God. What would be so important that we wouldn't let it go, that we wouldn't get forgiveness and ask the Lord to, to mend our hearts and our minds? Repentance. If I regard iniquity in my heart, who cares who's right? The right thing to do is to be made right with one another and before the Lord. If I regard iniquity in my heart, that's a powerful verse, isn't it? The Lord will not hear me. He says in Ezekiel, I've spoken it, I will do it. And then he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So, this is our resource. Do we, Church, let me ask you tonight, do we have any other resources? Do you have any other means by which the lost will be saved in this prayer meeting tonight, in the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will our missionaries be enabled if we, as God's people, don't intervene for them? How will your children be saved if you don't plead for before the mercy seat for them to be converted? The Holy Spirit to open their eyes and to show them the way of salvation. How will anything you can imagine, how will you grow in grace? How can we see the blessing of the Lord upon our, our efforts? Oh, that the, the beauty of the Lord be upon us and upon our work, establish the work of our hands. God's sovereignty is seen through prayer, God's goodness. Prayer causes us to spend time with the Lord. Reminds us of our great privilege that we can do this. It shows us our limitations. We can't save, we can't change anybody, we can't supply the real needs of the soul. But God can. It delivers us from pride. How can we be prideful about whatever prayers are answered from this prayer meeting when we all join together to ask for these things to be done? The Lord is glorified. It delivers us from selfishness. Because you know what? When I'm praying for my children to be saved, I'm reminded of those others who have children who need to be saved. When I'm praying for my own needs to be met, there are other brothers and sisters of Christ who have needs that need to be met. I never pray over things that the Lord doesn't bring to my mind others in our fellowship and that I know that have needs even greater and are just as pressing to them as mine are to me. Prayer builds up our faith. Oh, we love to, to rejoice. Bringing our sheaves with us, it broadens our assurance. It puts us all in the same boat. No big eye, little you. We're all God's children. We have the same spiritual resources. And it always leads to repentance. Well, may the Lord take this and teach it to us and bless us tonight.